So I want to jump back into this series, okay? We're going to be here, and uh, this may conclude us here this week due to our uh, joint service next Sunday. Uh, the following Sunday, then we'll begin our progression towards, uh, towards Christmas. But um, this will be our ninth Sunday here in Identity, Who Am I? Okay, and so we've talked through a lot of things so far, and I hope some of these have maybe helped remind you, if you didn't know already, who you really are in Jesus, and let that be the, the voice that speaks over you. Okay, you may have a business card that has a title on it. Uh, you may have a placard on a door that has a title on it that says, this is who you are. But more than that, this right here says who you are. And so I pray you'll let this trump everything else. On, lots of those things are good things, but I'll pray that you'll let the Word of God trump everything else. Pray that for me as well, that what He says over us is what matters most. And so we've said we've been fashioned Right? We've been watched over and cared for, that we are crowned with glory and honor. Is that just the believer or is that all people? That's all people, right? So even the people that uh, we have difficulty with, even the people that we would like to see justice served against, they've been crowned with glory and honor. They've been fashioned the same way we've been fashioned, to know God, to be loved by God, and to love God in return. They're watched over and they're cared for, and that will never cease until this age of grace ceases. So the terrorists that we don't like, which may be our grandchildren, or it may be the person who's coming from a different country seeking to harm us, uh, they are fashioned by the hand of God. And so we talked about that, the importance of being fashioned. What about um, extending forgiveness? Who has God extended forgiveness to? All people, okay? So all people are fashioned. All people have been extended forgiveness. All people have been lavishly loved. Those three things we talked about were our identity. Then we moved into the believer, which can become any person. Anybody can become these next um, five. And so we talked about somebody who is adopted, a child of God, and somebody who is accepted. We talked about somebody who is hidden in Christ and is an overcomer. Last week we saw that we are being built and what it means that we are this work in progress that God is continuing to bring to, to uh, fullness who he wants us to be. And so today we're going to look then into our ninth picture of our identity, who we are in Jesus. And to do that, we'll start with a little conversation. So if you uh, would like, we can go to Colossians chapter 2. But I'd like to ask you a question, and you tell me uh, briefly if you can, uh, maybe an, a response to it. So help me out. Have you ever completed something? What's something in your life you've completed and you felt really good about it? A career? Okay. College? Good. Completed something and man, it felt good. A marathon, okay, reading through the Bible. Somebody else completed something and you thought, man, this is just, ah, oh, Finally. School, okay. So we've got some finals coming up. Right, so we'll feel relief when that's finished. Ah, finally, I've completed that. And when you complete a grade or you complete a year of college or you get that diploma, those are things that just make us feel good, right? So if it's a paper or a project, whatever, when we complete something, it feels good. And so several things you've mentioned here, um, and we all, I think we understand that. So to complete something is great. What about the opposite of that, though? Have you ever set out to do something, but you didn't complete it? 
Yeah, so how does that leave you feeling? That's kind of a low point, isn't it? You know, and so I've, I set out with a real passion to do something, but then I just didn't get it done. You know, these uh, fitness centers, they are popping up all over the place. But you know what's true about these fitness centers? They're rarely full. Why? Because we start well, we just don't what? We just don't finish well when it comes to that. And so the new year is going to come around and everybody's going to get these new memberships. So we're getting hard at it again back at the gym. And then February rolls around and we're like, eh, I'll try again next year. We're still paying the membership. We just don't show up. That's why they keep throwing these buildings up everywhere because they're making a lot of money off us people who cannot keep the commitment to take care of our body. So, and that doesn't make us feel very good, right? We don't want to be reminded of the things that we've started and not finished. And so sometimes we've not completed something. And I think we understand the struggle of wanting to be complete. And I think a lot of times this is where we fall, even as Christians, looking for something to complete us. As though we feel incomplete as somebody who's following God. Like I need something more than what I currently have. And so maybe we start saying things like, when I graduate, then I'll be complete. Once I reach that point, when I get my license, or when I finish this semester of college, or when I heal from this surgery, or when this happens with my loved one, or when I can finally retire, or when there's this many people, then, and we start saying, then I'll be complete. So to insinuate then means currently I am what? It means I'm incomplete, that there's something wrong with where I currently live or where I currently exist. And so that leads to a mistaken identity. If you're a believer here this morning and you're thinking you need something else, you have a mistaken identity. And if we don't correct that, you're going to find yourself struggling through an identity crisis, trying to figure out what it is that I really need, even though everything you've ever needed has already been extended your direction. So what I found to be true in my own life is this. When I look for something to complete me and I get that something, it always leads me to want something else. Oh, now that I have this, I might as well get this as well. And then when I have that, then we'll be complete. And then my world will be the way it should be. I remember when uh, Stephanie and I were dating, we were talking about getting married, you, you know, you start having conversations about children, how many children you want to have, and so four was both our number. So when we hit the four mark, and so for me it was kind of like when we hit the four, then we'll be a complete family. Were we complete before then? Absolutely, right? So it, it, de it depends on how you define the terms. And so what I'm saying is if we're always looking to the, that next point, that next point will never finish us as far as us being complete. So if you can't tell what we're going to talk about today, your identity is that of being complete. And we're going to see this from Colossians chapter 2. That's my identity as well. If you're a Christian, that's your identity. If you're not a Christian yet, then this can become your identity. And what I want to look at is what does it mean that I am complete? Because I think if we polled the room, a lot of us would probably say, I'm just not there yet. Once I get here, then I'll be complete. Once I reach this level of maturity, spiritually speaking, then I'll be complete. Or once I get to heaven, then I'll be complete. Or once I get this body restored, then I'll be complete. Or once I get this amount of money or I have this sort of promotion, then I'll be complete. And the truth of the matter is, you couldn't be any more complete than you currently sit. So let's look today, Colossians chapter 2, as it relates to you and I being people who've been completed by God. What's that mean? 
And how should that fuel us here today? So let's read here. We're going to start in verse 6. We'll go through verse 15 so you can follow along on the wall or in your Bible as well. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to find Paul here writing to these people at Colossus. And these guys, these Christians, they were mixed up. And they were getting messed up. And so he's writing to them to say, hey, listen, you don't have to add anything to what you've already received to be complete. You're finalized. It's a done deal. And we'll see that here, hopefully, this morning. All right, so let's read, and you can follow along this morning as we read. It says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. So these are things that the Colossian people were struggling with. Add this to your following Jesus. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you've been brought to fullness. He's the head over every power and authority. In Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through your faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away... <clears throat> nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And that's the portion of Scripture that we're going to stop with there this morning. But we're going to look into what does it mean to be complete. And so if you want to follow along on your bulletin, you can. Uh, you don't have to fill in if you don't want to, but that's there for your benefit. Hey, your Bible's meant to write in or to mark up. We're not going to pass it on as this little pristine thing. So if you've got a pen, mark it up. If not, grab the one in the pew in front of you, underline, circle, date, pray, whatever. Just make it your own as God speaks to your heart, to your life, maybe to your situation here this morning. So three things we'll note as we progress through what it means to be complete. All right, number one is this. To be complete means for those who believe, we are inwardly changed. For those who believe, we are inwardly changed. And so what we're saying right from the get-go is, we have become something that we never were. Okay? This wasn't, I'm being added to, I'm a little bit better version of my former self. No. Inwardly changed here means that we have become something that we never were. We were never this way before. It's a complete change. And the picture here is that of moving from spiritual death to spiritual life. So, can I be more alive spiritually than I am currently? Can you be more alive physically than you are right now? No, you're either physically dead or physically alive. Spiritually speaking, now we may be closer to the Lord. We may have a deeper fire in our soul or in our gut for Him. We may have a greater passion for Him. But I'm either spiritually dead or I'm spiritually alive. Your heart is either beating or it's not. And so here we're talking about totally inwardly changed, this initial moving from death to life. And so I want to think about this initially in a physical sense. 
as it relates to Jesus. So help me out. When Jesus healed people, did he partly heal them or did he fully heal them? Fully, right? I mean, we don't read of anybody who was lame. Let's say they couldn't walk, having one leg healed and the other still diseased or paralyzed, right? I took care of part of your problem. You've got to figure out the rest on your own. Or someone who was deaf, you know, saying, I'll fix one ear but not the other, right? When he healed somebody, it was entire. And so let's go back and look at some scriptures here. We've got one from each of the Gospels. And I like the way the, the King James Version renders this picture. And so let's look at this from that translation. It says, But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee, what? Whole. All right. Mark. And when he had looked round about them, on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored how? Whole. Whole is the other. Luke. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee what? Whole. And then here in John, If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision that the law of Moses should not be broken, are ye angry at me because I have made a man every whit? What? Whole on the Sabbath day. And so what is the commonality here between these four verses? It's that word whole, right? So when Jesus heals, he makes something whole in the physical sense. It's done. There's nothing else that needs to be added. It's not a process. It's not a progression. It's right now, totally changed. And the way that he works with us spiritually, it's the exact same way. There's not a process of becoming more and more alive spiritually. I'm either awakened and alive or I'm dead. And so here we see he's making them, the word we're using today is complete. It's the same word that is translated whole. And so if you were to look at that word in its original language, you would see that it means things like to be fully furnished. If you're fully furnished, what are you lacking? Nothing. If you buy a furnished home, what are you lacking in that home? Nothing. All right? If we fill your cup of coffee to the brim, what are you lacking? Nothing. I mean, maybe you want creamer or something else in it. You want to add something to it, but as far as getting a cup of coffee as full as it could be, it's there. It's its fullness. It's whole. It's complete. It's furnished. It's supplied. It's satisfied. That's what it means in this context. So when I talk about us today as Christians, and you, if you're not a Christian, becoming a Christian, being complete, this is what we're talking about. Being fully furnished. Do you understand that? There is nothing that you lack as a follower of Jesus. Nothing. My God shall supply all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What are you lacking? Nothing. I lack nothing. And so it means to be fully furnished. It means to be fully backed. All right? Think about uh, this process we've just come through here in this election. You've got people giving money to a person saying, I'm behind you, I'm supporting you, I'm backing you. Well, here God is saying, for those who are complete, you're backed. You're fully furnished. You're not lacking anything. You're not going to take a step and be in need. I will supply. Specifically here in the area of salvation, we are complete. Verse 9 and 10, let's look at this here. 
For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. There it is, that word fullness. That's in Christ. Not talking about us yet. Then you get to verse 10. And in Christ you have been brought to what? Fullness. Or you have been made whole, to use King James. Or you've been made complete. You've been supplied. You've been furnished. You are fully satisfied. And so what we're talking about initially here is salvation is complete. Last week we said we're a work in progress, which means sanctification. I'm being built. Growing in Christ's likeness is a process. Salvation is not. It's a moment. It's instantaneous. You're saved now. You're fully changed now. And so here we see this inward change for those who believe is what it means to be complete. Now, there's a couple word pictures here in the text that we read that help us understand what it means to be changed. One of those is the word circumcision and one of those is the word baptism. And so let's look here at these together. Let's go back to the text. Colossians 2 verse 11. In Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. This is not physical. This is spiritual. Keep that in mind because it's true when we get to baptism as well. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off. How much of yourself? Your whole self. There's the same word again. Your complete self was put off by the flesh. Or this was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through your faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. And so here we can see it this way. The whole self ruled by the flesh has been dealt with. Nothing is lacking here. We've been moved from spiritual death to spiritual life. Our whole self has been buried and has been raised. And so that's the picture of baptism. This isn't saying you received a new life by baptism. All right, It's speaking to things spiritually. So when you think about being baptized, you stand there initially saying, this is my testimony. When you go down in the water, what does that signify? Death. When you come out of the water, what does it signify? I'm alive. It means I'm changed. I went down dead, Corey. I come up this new, born again, in a way I've never been before, person. That's what it symbolizes. That actually happened at the death and resurrection of Christ. And so when we have faith in who He is, we then somehow are connected with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We are wonderfully recreated here, made new, born again, whatever word you want to use, we are new. See, spiritual baptism is the grave of the old man, but it's also this birth of the new man. And so when faith is placed in Christ, salvation is complete. Now this season is about to come on us, right? Black Friday's getting close. Anybody getting flyers, email alerts, and all these kinds of things? I've got several already. You can go see the stores and what offers they have for Black Friday. You know, some of these places, they'll tell you, come out, you know, we've got great deals on something, but they may have three or four of them. But if you'll show up, they'll give you a voucher, even if they've sold out. And that voucher means you can come back at a later time, turn that in, and redeem whatever it is that you had purchased earlier. All right? That's not how it works here with salvation. Salvation is not a, just a start. That starts your walk with Christ but there's not like I'm a little bit saved, I'm getting a little more saved, and then one of these days I'm going to stand at the gates of heaven with my voucher, and God's going to take that and fully save me all of a sudden. No. 
You're as saved now as you could ever be. Alright? You're as alive now, spiritually speaking, as you could ever be if you are a follower of Jesus. And so there is this complete inward change for those who have been made complete in Christ. No vouchers necessary. All of this is in Christ. And this text is just full of this. Alright? From verse 6 to about verse 13, over and over and over again, you'll see that it's in Christ. And so I'm going to read these to you. If your Bible's open, you can follow along with these. These aren't on the wall. But verse 6, it says this, Live your lives in Him. Verse 7 says, Rooted and built up in Him. Verse 8 says, Salvation depends on Him. Verse 9 says it's in Christ. Verse 10 is in Christ. Verse 11 is in Him. Verse 12 is with Him. Verse 13 is with Christ. And so the whole point is this. If you have Christ, you're what? You're complete. You're whole. You're fully furnished. You're fully backed. You're satisfied. So to have Christ and to think I need something else to complete me means I have a mistaken identity. And it's going to lead to an identity crisis. I'm going to pursue something other than Jesus to try to make me happy, to make me whole, to make me finished. And yet I've been fully finished, fully furnished in Christ. He's my completer. And when He saves, His salvation is in full, complete. Right? It's not the part. It's not just a down payment. You've got the whole deal. All right, let's go to second thing uh, here this morning, to be complete. What does it mean? Secondly, it means that all of our debt has been canceled. All of our debt's been canceled. Anybody have debt? All right. So wouldn't that be, if things work that way, you could probably bring a whole lot more people to Christ. Don't you think so? Come to Jesus and He'll pay off your house. Just come to Jesus and He'll pay off all of your consumer debt. All your credit cards are gone. Just come to Jesus. Right? He'll pay for your cars. Right? He'll pay all your doctor bills. He'll pay everything that you owe. To, it's, it's just all paid for. Right? So this isn't speaking in the financial term of we don't have responsibility to be good stewards. This is speaking of our greater debt. And here we're going to talk about the greater debt that is our sin. And so the Bible teaches that when we sin, we've earned a debt. Right? I am now a debtor for my rebellion or for my sin. The Bible also teaches that what I've earned is the result of that is death. Right? The wages of my sin is death. And so that's what I've earned. That is what the charge is against me. That is what is rightfully mine. So I stand guilty and I stand condemned. And so therefore, for anybody to be pardoned or to be freed... Their guilt has to be removed, and that only happens by having their debt paid and their debt canceled. And so enter Jesus. Right? This is where Jesus comes into this world at the time that was right, and He's going to take on Himself all of the sin so that in return He can offer cancellation of debt. All right? Of your greater debt, of your greatest debt, and my greatest debt. And so He willingly takes on Himself our sin debt and pays the price so our debt can be canceled. And so here's the beautiful part of this. If Jesus had not come in, I'm forever guilty. If God doesn't become flesh, I'm forever accountable. I'll forever have sin that is not canceled against me. And all I can do is stand there and say, that's right. I'm guilty. I've committed that. Those charges may be brought against me. And so Jesus comes in and He pays the necessary death on the cross. And here we're reading that His death canceled our debt. Death 
canceled debt. And so let's go back here to see it. Verse 13 and 14. When you were dead in your sins, spiritually dead, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. And he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. And so his debt paid our, or his death paid our debt. You see that? And you probably know that already, but it's good for us to be reminded this is our identity. For me to be complete meant I needed to have my legal indebtedness removed. And the only way that happens is in Jesus. He's the completer of me. Remember that? So it's not add good works to this to feel good about yourself. It's not show up every Sunday to feel good about yourself. It's not read your Bible or give or pray or do any of these spiritual disciplines to feel good or to make yourself better in the eyes of God. No, everything is through Christ alone, including here what was most needed, which was having our debts canceled. And so he paid it and so our account can be clear and free. You know, last week I went to the polls and I got there right before they closed. Anybody ever been there? I mean, it was like a ghost town. There was nobody there other than the people working it. And so I walk out Maryville Road here at 7 o'clock and as I'm walking to my car, there's a woman who comes out and she says, Hear ye, hear ye, the polls are now officially closed. And I thought it was just somebody coming out being silly. I turn around and look at her and she just walks back in like, no, this is how it works. I've never been there when they closed the polls before. I thought this is kind of cool. I'd like to do the back history on that. I wonder if that's what they do everywhere. Hear ye, hear ye. Or is this just something they do maybe locally? I don't know. Well, how does that relate to what we're talking about? When we exercise faith in Jesus, the one who paid the debt for the debtor, the one who gave his life, died so our sins could be canceled. It was like there was a hear ye that was proclaimed throughout all of heaven. Hear ye, hear ye. Corey Penn has placed faith in Jesus Christ. And he is no longer indebted. All of his debt has been canceled. All the charges have been dropped. He is clear and free. Isn't that good news? You may not care, but I love it. Because that's absolutely what I needed was a hear ye. And maybe that's what you need to hear today. Hear ye. Your debts have been canceled. They've been paid. And they're paid in full. Death equals cancellation of debt for those who've placed faith in Christ. And so Paul writes then in Romans 8.1, Therefore, for the guilty, therefore for the condemned, there is now no condemnation for them. Right? I don't stand guilty anymore. I'm going to come before him as part of his family. Because I have trusted in Christ. Dead in your sins, made alive through Christ, because he forgave and canceled all our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He nailed it to the cross. All right, then third here, to be complete. Not only are my sins canceled, not only is my debt removed, and the only way it could be removed was through Christ alone, we've got ultimate victory. And what I like about this is that it is certain. So none of us should walk out of here today just hopeful. I hope that we win. I hope that I can overcome. I hope that heaven is my reward. I hope that one day I'll see Jesus. If we've got kind of a hope-so kind of faith, 
then we need to take a little closer look at the Bible and remind ourselves again of who we are. What did we say initially? If you've been saved, your salvation is complete. It's done. It's sealed. That's who you are. Right? Regardless of what else goes on in this world, your greatest good is that He has saved you by canceling your debts, which means that ultimate victory is certain. And so when Jesus nailed it to the cross, it was kind of like there was this big mic drop in heaven. Boom. Take that. And it just reverberated throughout the world. Wasn't there an earthquake? I just wonder. Boom. You thought you'd won here, Satan. But you didn't. And the beauty of this, there is absolutely nothing he can do about it. He's a defeated foe. He will not go easy, but he will go. Man, I'm reading Revelation right now, and it takes your mind to all sorts of places that I'd never thought of and been before. Just like, how does all this work out? And what are all these images? And how do all the dots connect here? And I don't see how it all works. I know it does, and God will take care of that. But where I'm getting to now is there is an ultimate defeat. I read this morning that he was no match and so he's been cast down and he's angry and he's going to vent his wrath but that's just for a time because death has already been pronounced. The sentence has already been given. You've been charged legally and God's going to bring it against you. So he may not go now. He may not go easily but he will definitely go. And let's look at how Christ did this. Remember he just nailed it to the cross. What did he nail to the cross? Our legal debt, right? He nailed that to the cross so it could be canceled. Here's what he did also in that. He disarmed the powers and authorities and he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. So help me out. When Jesus died on the cross, was that a private ceremony or was that public? It was public, right? And was it in a valley kind of hidden in some trees back around the corner somewhere? No, where was it? It's up on a hill. And so he's on the top of the hill, but it wasn't enough to be on the top of the hill. He's hanging on a cross at the top of the hill. It's like, as far as I can see, the highest thing out here is the cross. This was done for everyone around to see. This wasn't some deal that was worked in a back room of heaven. Okay, Satan, you can kill my son. And okay, we'll die. This wasn't something that was just negotiated under somebody's breath or done quietly. This was done publicly for the whole world to see so that the whole world could know that there is victory, certain victory, for those who believe. And by certain, I mean ultimate. See, what they thought they had won that day, they didn't realize they were just accomplishing what you and I needed. They tried to deceive us and they were good at deceiving us and so we've given in. But they thought they'd won the battle when they put the Son of God on the cross. We've killed Him, only they failed to realize that His death meant that we triumph. His death means that we win. His death means that ultimate death is destroyed. And what a crushing blow. What a crushing blow. And this has been the case. This has been what God said from the very beginning. And don't you love when Scripture just weaves itself in and you see, oh, I didn't understand that. Or maybe I see dots connect. Genesis 3.15, from the very get-go, 
Everything was good. Made man and woman, and it's very good. Man and woman have sinned, and they're going to have to be cast out. But let me tell you, that's not the end of the story. You won't forever be guilty. You won't forever be condemned. You won't forever be indebted. He goes back here and it says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And so Satan struck what he thought was the final blow there at the cross. What he didn't realize is that he was crushing, bringing his ultimate destruction. The very death that he thought that he was winning ultimately is going to lead to his defeat. And so in this death of Christ, what does it mean that ultimate victory is certain? What does it look like to be ultimate in victory? It means all the power of hell has been stripped away from those who believe. It means I had a sin nature and I was dead, but I've been awakened and I am complete. Therefore, I am disarmed from this nature. It means it should not win. It should not be prevalent. It should not be predominant in my life. I've been born again, new nature. Doesn't mean I won't sin, but when I do sin, it's not God's fault. It means I'm not leaning His direction. Every time I sin, it's not because I don't have the power not to sin. It's because I'm not looking for that power in my life. And so I've surrendered to something else. And so here, ultimate victory means the power of hell has been stripped away from those who believe. It means I've been set free from the, being dominated by my flesh. And so no longer is it about I just have to submit to this sin nature. I've got a new nature which is going to lead to, to my ultimate victory. And then it means I have victory over sin. And so there's no sin that should ever conquer me. There's no sin that should ever conquer you. That's why it really bothers me when people say, well, I'm just a sinner. No, you're not. That's your old identity. What are you? You're saved. And we're saying today it's complete. Well, I've just made that way and so I just keep sinning. Then there's a problem there. Right? The power of hell has been disarmed. Let's back up. And having, what's the third word? And having disarmed. The power of hell has been disarmed. He made a public spectacle of them. That means sin can't reign in you. It shouldn't reign in you anymore. It's been defeated. And so don't just live at that low level of making excuses. I'm just a sinner and that's as good as it gets. No. Man, you've been changed. And that is complete. No, you're not perfect yet. But don't live at the low level of saying, I've got free license to sin just because that's the way I've been made or that's just my personality or that's who I am. You can live in victory today. Victory over sin today. Victory over discouragement today. Victory over depression today. Victory over addiction today. Right? Victory over temptation today. Today, ultimate victory, absolutely. One day I'll receive that in heaven where I won't have all these things working against me, but that doesn't mean I don't win today. I fight, I win. Because Christ fought for me and He won. And He disarmed the powers, He nailed it to the cross so I could die and be dead with Him and so I could raise and be raised with Him and be made new, be made complete. You're complete this morning. If you're a child of God, if you are all these previous eight things, you don't have to accomplish all eight or receive all eight to get number nine. I'm just saying when you've believed, all of this has flowed your direction. This is who you are. 
You've been fashioned by God. Not just created. Fashion means you've been created with a purpose. He has a very distinct reason that you're breathing on this planet right now. No mistake. He has a very specific purpose for why you're connected here today, why you're hearing what he wants you to hear this morning. And the beauty of it is you could be hearing something totally different than the words coming out of my mouth. That's the power of the living word of God. You've been fashioned. You've been forgiven. All right? You've been lavishly loved. Nobody could love you. You've been agape Remember that? You've been agape You've been unconditionally, without reserve, lavishly loved. You've been adopted, which says you're my son or my daughter. And as a result of that, everything I have flows your direction. I don't have a back room that is off limits to you. I'm not just doling out. Here's a little bit of my grace. Here's a little bit of my blessing. Hang on to those four promises, but those six are for when you grow up. Everything is your direction as a child of God. And you've been accepted. You've been hidden. And Christ has hidden himself in you. God is working to help you and I overcome. He is building us. And today he said, everything that I've done, it means you're complete. You're not lacking anything. And I think sometimes we look at our faith like a child looks at Christmas. We look at our relationship with God as a child looks at Christmas. A child could have 30 presents there. Five presents there. And a child, what do they do? They rip the paper off one and they open it up and then what do they do? They set it aside and they go to the next one. And you're like, hey, wait a minute, I want to get a picture. Never mind. All right, go to your next one. And so they rip in and they oh, that's great. And they set that aside. And they keep, oh, that's great. And they set that aside. And they went through all 30 presents and at the end, what do they say? Is that all? Isn't there more? It's like, just look at what you've been given. Look at what you have. See, sometimes I think we look at salvation and at our debts being paid and that ultimate victory like, okay, that's great. What else is there? As though I need something else. Like, could there possibly be anything greater on the planet than being saved? You name it. You can't. Neither can I. And yet sometimes I just set it behind me like a little kid who's unwrapped a present. Oh, yeah, I'm saved. Check. I'll be baptized, baptized, check. I finished, you know, fourth grade, check. It's just like I got, oh, I'm playing sport. Okay, I won this, okay, check. And it's just like we keep going on like it's part when there's nothing greater you could ever receive than to be made complete by Christ. May God help us see that. May He remind us of these things. We're so stinking blessed that sometimes we miss the greatest blessing. Or we make it equal with, I got health. Or I got safety. Or I got money. Or I got family. Or I got a job. Like they're in some way even. There's nothing better that's flowed your direction than Jesus Christ and His blood. There's nothing better that's happened for you than your debt being paid, nailed to a cross, being canceled. Knowing ultimate victory is certain, it makes Christmas unwrapping presents kind of like, eh, this can't even compare. And may God help us to understand our true identity.